This is where we uncover the simple traditions that successful business owners are doing every day to build a successful home life while still taking the lead in their business. Let's get started. Welcome back, everybody, to the Successful Parents Podcast. I'm your host, Wanda Howard, and today we have a very special guest. She changed my life, her program, her course. I had no idea after having babies that my body could actually heal and go back to normal and be able to have a strong pelvic floor, and it was causing a lot of frustrations in my life, but then I met Marcy Crouch through somebody in the business world and we were able to connect. I got her program. It changed everything. And I have always felt like everybody needs to know about this. So welcome, Marcy. And please tell everybody more about what you do and why you do it. Yes. Thank you so much, Wanda. I'm so happy to be here. I love connecting with moms and women everywhere. So this is um, super fun for me. So thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. So like uh, Wanda said, my name is Dr. Marcy Crouch. I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist. Most people don't understand or even know that there are PTs who deal with the pelvic floor. And my specialty really is I kind of <laughs> tell people like breastbone down and knees up <laughs> and my, my ideal kind of niche, or I would say my niche is really helping women and birthing persons, um, prepare and train for delivery and then recover fully after. Um, I'm sure if you have listeners who are moms who have had children, they can relate and understand that there's not a lot of resources given to women after having a baby from the healthcare side of things. We're kind of just like, like past this newborn and we're dealing with this whole new shift in our life, in our identity, in our daily routine, our physical body, navigating work, marriages, kind of all the things. And we're not really given a roadmap or any sort of comprehensive plan to physically recover from the nine months of carrying a baby and then the rigors of um, labor and childbirth. So when I started seeing patients, you know, 13 years ago, <laughs> I just fell in love with this side of physical therapy. I knew it was something I always wanted to do. Um, I love the connection between moms and women and helping people kind of navigate this time in their life. That's so monumental. Um, and yeah, so that's kind of, that's what I do from like a rehab and an injury prevention standpoint. It's exactly what you would think for like a soccer player for their knee. I just work in the pelvis <laughs> basically. <laughs> that's so awesome. And yeah. I love too, like that you talk about, um, the pre, I wish that I would have known mm. about prep before mm -hmm. having a baby. I had no idea. I found yeah. you after all my babies were born. Yeah. Um, so tell, tell us more about like, what does that look like? Is that like mm -hmm. physical exercise? Mm -hmm. Is that just being aware of certain breath exercises? Like what? Yeah. Is like? It's a great question. So what I like to tell my clients and kind of my audience is that we need to start thinking about labor and delivery and birth as an athletic event. And we need to start training for it like we would be training for any sort of kind of high level activity. Because from a physiologic standpoint, 
it's very similar to an endurance event, right? (laughs) Oftentimes it lasts many hours and there are lots of muscle contractions (laughs) and your body uses muscle glycogen and, you know, all of the things that you would be using when you're running a marathon or, you know, going for a long bike ride or lifting weights for a long time. And our bodies just from a physiologic standpoint are put through this very challenging event. And oftentimes we don't have food or we don't have fluids (laughs) because we're not able to eat at the hospital or drink. And so we're doing it kind of in this depleted state. And a lot of what we can do to train for delivery is very simple and very, what I consider like sports specific. Okay. So the analogy that I say a lot too, and, and this is true for like any motor learning of any new task or any, anything is like high quality repetitions in sport specific instances. Okay. So my husband, for example, is a volleyball coach. And so he coaches like practices or like games because that's the most um, applicable way to learn the skills, right? It's unpredictable. You have to be able to, you know, do something well in a drill, but if you can't apply that into a game like setting, then there's no transfer. Same thing for delivery, right? We're often taught or told we have to have a baby on our back. We have to do it in the hospital with our feet in the stirrups, and we have to take these medications X, Y, Z. And like, that's it. We don't know that there are options or that there are different ways to do it with medication or without medication. And I'm not somebody that's like, there's only one good way to birth and you never should have an epidural and like C-sections are bad. Like, I don't think any of that. I think there's, (laughs) I think we are lucky to be in a place where we have these medical advances like cesarean sections and medication because it saves lives. But what I don't like is when women are not educated or prepared prepared or know what to expect because that's what causes trauma and that's what causes unnecessary injury. So like if we are dealing with something, I mean, like you wouldn't just be thrown into a major league baseball game without any sort of training to like learn how to pitch or catch or throw. Right. It's just like it, but that's what we're told as women. And it's just, Oh, women have been doing this for millions of years and you know, your body will know what to do and you can do this. But like how many times were we like, I didn't even know that I could go on my side or I didn't know that I could ask this question, or I didn't know that there was an alternative. So there's, so what I like to do is really prepare women starting, you know, sometimes as early as the second trimester, kind of just depending on past birth experiences and questions and histories and other, you know, any sort of other physical issues. And we go through it. We go through birth positions. I teach women how to bear down and push. So their pelvic floor lengthens and get out of the way, gets out of the way. I teach them how to breathe and how to do open mouth pushing. I have like resources about what type of questions to ask your providers ahead of time what to ask the labor and delivery nurse, you know, what to prepare for in terms of your hospital bag and not just like a cute onesie for your baby, but like you need these compression garments and you need to have this for your vagina. And you should think about this for your C-section scar. So like everything that we give athletes to prepare for a race all the way down to like their post-race meal, we need to be doing for moms too. Cause it's, I would argue harder (laughs) than a soccer game. And so like, and then we add muscle injury on top of that or a major surgery. And there's, there's no sort of resources for that. So preparation really recovery really starts with preparation. Um, I think. Yeah. And it's, I love this analogy between the sports 
and giving birth because it's so mm-hmm. true. This is a physically demanding mm-hmm. thing that mm-hmm. we just expect our body to know how to do right from the get go. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's ridiculous, especially yeah. saying it that way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's like, even with injury afterwards, you know, if there's a tear in the perineum or the pelvic floor muscles, or if there's been an episiotomy, which is an incision or C-section major abdominal surgery two major incisions, you know, one in the uterus, one in your abdominal wall. I mean, this is not just like three pokes in your knee laparoscopic surgery, or, uh, you know, it's, this is like a major, major surgery and there's just nothing given. It's just like, oh, well, you had a baby, so I'll see you in six weeks and the baby will have, you know, multiple appointments and you had multiple appointments, but now the baby's here. So see you later, you know, and it's just like, we wouldn't do that for somebody that had a simple knee surgery. So why is that happening from moms? It just, it just doesn't make sense to my brain as like a healthcare provider. I'm like, there's just this huge discrepancy and I don't understand why there's this huge gap in care. <laughs> I mean, it's like ridiculous. I mean, when you say it out loud, it's like absolutely ridiculous, but yeah. it's what happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I like to like talking about the aftercare because I remember sitting in the hospital and doctors were giving me all these pamphlets and all this information and all mm-hmm. these things. And I remember being like, oh, great. I get to learn all about how to be a mom and what's going to work and everything. And by the time I went through all of this information, I was blown away that it was all about the baby. Yeah. What the baby needed. And I was like, what What about me? What what am I supposed to do? And and there was like no conversation Mm -mm. of even knowing where to ask those questions. So I know that you help with that. Yeah, for sure. And I think you know, the time to educate is not the day after you had a baby in the hospital when you're like bleeding and peeing everywhere and you have a waterbed for an abdomen. And, you know, maybe you have another toddler at home that's like upset that you're not there. And now you have this newborn and maybe the newborn is jaundice. I mean, it's just like, there's all these things. And like that, this is not the time to be like, okay, let's talk about your vagina. I mean, it's like beforehand, we need to set this up. So when somebody experiences questions or uncertainty, they're like, okay, yeah, I remember Marcy told me about that. She told me to remember to do these three things for my first poop. And so I'm going to do that. We need to prepare better. And what you said earlier, where you were like, I wish I knew these things. That's what I hear from everybody at any anywhere in the country. I mean, I've had the opportunity to work in lots of different States. My husband moves around a lot for work. I have clients and patients who are overseas and it doesn't matter where you are, whether you live in a metropolis like Los Angeles or a tiny suburb outside of, you know, a major city. No, but like everybody has the same experience. I wish I would have known. Why didn't they tell me about this? I had never heard about this before. I feel so alone. I didn't, I didn't understand. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you're in a booming city or a tiny town. Yeah. yeah. Women just aren't getting what they need. And I want, I want to um, kind of draw, um, emphasize that a little bit more Mm -hmm. because I remember, um, in the hospital, they talked a little bit about, oh, Kegel exercises, but a little mm-hmm. bit, there was little mentions there. And so I knew kind of, 
Mm-hmm. But and so when I first found out about you, I was very resistant at first. I'm like, well, the Kegel thing didn't really work for me. So I wanted yeah. to bring that up. Yeah. A lot of listeners will hear like, oh, well, I did that and it didn't work. Yeah. It, it's totally different. Like, yeah. Totally different. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it's so funny. I just wrote, I just finished my latest blog on that and it was called why kegels don't work (laughs) because like they don't work usually we're told and have been told for years that a kegel exercise is the answer to all pelvic floor problems whether you're leaking pee whether you're constipated whether you have pain with sex or vaginal penetration just do kegels right Mm -hmm. And what we know about Kegels is what we read in magazines or here on social media, right? And that message is hundreds and hundreds of Kegels a day, all the time, make your vagina tight. Like it's right. That's what it is. Like Kegels for a better sex life, Kegels for a better experience for your partner, Kegels for this, Kegels for that. And there's actually studies that look at women who are verbally instructed on how to do a Kegel and if they're actually doing them correctly. And it's like, crazy amounts are not doing them correctly. I think the study showed like 50 or 60%, but anecdotally in my practice, it's like 90%. I mean, I think I can count on one hand how many times I've had a patient where I've done an assessment and been like, oh, okay, great. You know, like you're doing it awesomely because they're hard to do and nobody teaches us how to do them. And it's not just an isolated squeeze your vagina like you're trying to stop urine, it's a symphony of muscles and coordinated with the breath. And we have to bring in all these other, um, connections and we have to make it what we love to say in the PT world functional. Okay. Because like we're told to do Kegels when we're sitting in the car at a red light, right? Like, Oh, every time you're at a step sign, just do like 27 Kegels. And you're like, okay, but that's not how our body works. We're not leaking pee when we're sitting in a stoplight. We're leaking pee when we're lifting, when we're running, when we're jumping on a trampoline, when we're pregnant with our second or third or fourth children, or we're having these issues when we're living our lives, these functional things. So we have to train the pelvic floor muscles exactly the same way that we would train other muscles. It's the same type of muscle. It's skeletal muscle. So you just, you don't go to the gym and sit in a chair and do, you know, a hundred Kegels with a two pound weight and expect to see a big change in your arm strength, right? It's like, you have to vary the load. You have to vary the rest time. You have to vary the position. You have to vary the reps and the sets. Same thing with the pelvic floor, but it's hard to do that because we can't see it. And we can't say like, okay, that is a muscle contraction. I understand that. And, and then you add a pregnancy and a delivery on top of that. And it's like, now you're asking muscles that have been stretched out for nine months to do what they should be quote unquote doing normally. Mm -hmm. And we don't ask that for any other muscle when we've had an injury or something like that, you know, going on for nine months and then, you know, the demand of, of delivery and then back again. So it's very, um, it's very important to understand that Kegels by themselves don't work. They don't work. (laughs) Like that's exactly right. Like they do not work and they're boring. And most people are like, oh, I don't know how to do it. So I'm just not going to do it. And then it's this, oh, well, they don't work for me. I need something else. And it's, it's true. But when we do it the right way with all these other pieces in place, there can be very effective. 
Yeah. And so this brings me to the question then, what would you tell somebody who it's been like six, 10 years since they've had a baby, mm-hmm. if they're having back pains or the mm-hmm. pelvic floor, like, can mm-hmm. this work for them? Totally. Yeah. It's never too late. I say all the time, postpartum is forever. My oldest client that I've ever had was like a 90, maybe she was 92, 92 year old woman who was leaking urine and had been leaking urine since she had her children. Um, and I treated her because she was unable to get to the bathroom when she got up at night without leaking. Mm-hmm. So I treated her so she could get to the bathroom and not fall. Right. Cause she was like rushing and she would fall. And then I treated her daughter (laughs) who was in her fifties because she was like, Oh, what is this? And she did great. And then I treated her daughter when she had a baby. So it doesn't matter. I mean, obviously we'll see better gains kind of the earlier that we treat it, but you can still see functional gains and improvements and symptoms, you know, at any time, it's just, just making sure that you have the correct program and that you're working with somebody who understands the pelvic floor anatomy and understands kind of what the demand is your specific situation. Cause it's different for everyone. You can't have a cookie cutter approach, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so good for people to know, like, this is not, uh, there's not an expiration date. You can do this anytime. Yeah. Um, and I think, this conversation is just so applicable to all day today. Um, I've been having to do things that in business world as a mom that we need to be able to focus on. And mm-hmm. my kids have been in the background joining mm-hmm. in various on all these podcasts. And I love it because um, we're having this conversation of being able to help moms and our kids, but at the same time in a way that is unison. So that brings me to my question of, what, what was the foundation like as a kid? What were you Mm. able to do? Um, what was family life like that enabled you to be the person who you are today? Oh my gosh. That's like going into the inner child stuff. Um, (laughs) my, yeah, I love it. I'm an open book. My parents are retired. Currently they're retired military. My, they were in the air force. My dad went to the air force Academy, graduated in 1970. At the time, women were not allowed at the air force Academy in Colorado Springs. My mother, um, did what's called ROTC, R-O-T-C. So she did that through her college and became an officer. And at the time, like back in the seventies and early eighties, before I was born, um, women were not officers like that didn't happened. (laughs) And, um, my mom retired as a Colonel. My dad also retired as a Colonel and that's a pretty high ranking official for women, um, back then. So I think the foundation from both my parents kind of with this feminist attitude, although we, it wasn't labeled like that back then, you know, but this idea of, you know, you can do anything you want and, you, we have a duty to, you know, help others as much as possible (laughs) and be like a contributing member to society. And, you know, whatever you decide you do with your life is fine with us as long as you are doing good. You know what I mean? And they were always very supportive in education and, um, you know, making sure that I had what I needed to succeed academically. And they just were very, my dad, especially was just very, he was just like a cheerleader 
you know, a hundred percent, like anything that I wanted to do, he was like, you can do it a hundred. You can do it. You can do it. You just have to work hard. You can do it. You can do it. He never told me that's not realistic or that's not something that, you know, you should focus on. He'd always was like, totally, you can do it. And so, yeah. And I think that a lot of that has come into not only how I parent, but also how I interact with my patients and my clients, because I believe that they can do it. You know, like I, I truly believe that. And I truly believe that whatever the goals are that they come to me, no matter how extravagant or high level, or no matter how small, you know, it's all relative. Like, who am I to say what's small and what's extravagant or, you know, it's, it's their life. It's whatever they think is important to them. I really do believe that we can get there and that there's a way to get there if we just like work together and if we figure out how to do it and if we design a program that's specific for them and that, you know, we can do, we can do better for these women if we just start believing in them and listening to them. And, and that's part of the reason why I, I kind of switched over to the online space was because you know, I was in the clinic for a long time and it's great. And I love the clinic and I love treating patients, but I felt like I couldn't do enough, you know, like my time was limited. I could only see X amount of clients per day. Right. Uh (laughs) And I could only see people that were in my area geographically, you know, there were people that would fly in for sure, but not everybody has like the ability to take four days off and fly in and see me for four days in a row and then go back to their town, you know, like that's, Uh that's hard to do. And so I was like, there has to be a better way to provide for moms and women than just having this, like, you know, six hours a day, like they're like, that's not, the answer can't be it's only like you fit into this six hours a day in Los Angeles <laughs> or nothing, you yeah. know, like, and it, and it's not just like, you know, saying that, you know, about coming to see me, but just in public floor PT in general, like there's not a lot of us out there. It's not as well known. It's not something that's standard. It's not something that is talked about. It's not something that is part of the maternity reproductive healthcare regime, even yeah. though it should be. And that's what I'm working to change, but it's not as easy as it is to just go see a chiropractor for back pain or go see a PT for knee surgery or go to your primary care for whatever chronic headaches. Like it's, it's not that accessible. So the answer cannot be either you find someone and you go fly and see them, or you drive six hours or you drive four hours, or you take all this time off work, or you have to figure out sitters and you can't go back because now maternity leave is over and you have to go back to work. Like that can't be the answer. So the online stuff, like when I went into online about, you know, a year ago or a year and a half ago, it started a pandemic. I was like, this really has to be something that can be accessible for women everywhere, no matter where they are, what time zone they're in, what their work looks like, because like, they can't just have nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that answered your question. (laughs) Yes. That's that's great. I love, I love that. um, Just impact that your parents made in your life it's truly, you can tell talking with you and how you're very passionate about it, that that is something that has 
created this beautiful model for other to bless other women's lives. Like that is something that the world needs right now. And you're right. It's not accessible. It's not something Mm -hmm. like your program is. And I know that I Mm -hmm. starting to hear that there's a few other people doing it, Mm -hmm. but the, uh, I remember right at the beginning, like asking my doctors, like, what do I do about this? And like, Oh, Mm -hmm. it's normal. And because Mm. that it was normal, Mm. I didn't even look. I wasn't right. looking for help. I wasn't trying to figure out um, how to fix this because I was like, oh, right. I guess this is just it. So, yeah. Def- and that, that message is very, is very prevalent. And the thing that I think everybody needs to understand is that there's a difference in the definition of common and normal. Yes. And like, because things are common, doesn't mean that's normal. I mean, if you went to your doctor before having a baby and you're like, I'm leaking pee every time I sneeze or, oh my gosh, like I can't go run. They'd be like, oh, uh oh, something's not right. But then after a baby, it's like, oh yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, you're all good. It's fine. Yeah, you're, it's fine. Just wear a pad. You know, it, it, I'm like, that can't be <laughs> like, what? So I just, yeah. I mean, I just think it's very important to understand that, um, in order to really support women professionally, personally, we have to start valuing them and what is important to them and taking care of their bodies has to be on that list. Yeah. And I am not, I'm kind of like an enigma PT. Like I don't like to run. I don't like to go to the gym. Like I don't like to do that stuff. My exercise and my time away from my kids. My me time is out riding horses at the barn. I like to be oh. active that way. I like to lift, you know, hay like bays of bales of hay and like get rocks out of the pot out of the pasture. And like, I like to do that, like that type of physical activity, but I don't want to go to the gym. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that's just, that's just me, yep. but other people do. And whatever that thing is that makes people feel who they are and understand that they're important and that their time is important. And this time away from their, this alone time, this like soul searching time, whether that's at the gym or the barn or running, or even, you know, walking around the neighborhood, if you can't do those things because of physical limitations from birth, that's not okay. And that's what we see all the time, all the time. And you cannot you cannot live fully in all aspects of your life if you are not happy with with how you're feeling and i just think that's so valuable and it comes back to the point of just giving women information <laughs> like it's so easy you know i'm like i'm always just like i don't understand like why this is such an uphill battle yeah. like this is like a very fixable problem. Uh, And it's just about listening to women and giving them resources, which are available. (laughs) It's like Uh, not that hard. So (laughs) my question then is how, how do we start passing down these types of um, information Mm -hmm. and healthy traditions to our kids, our sons Mm -hmm. and our daughters? How do we start having these conversations with them so that they're prepared? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I I think what needs to happen is removing the shame around bodies. Yes. And totally. natural pr- 
processes, like going to the bathroom (laughs) and, you know, whatever the case may be. I think it's, I think honesty and not making things a big deal in terms of like, oh my gosh, you know, like, you just peed, you know, it's like, let's just not apologize for our bodies, you know? And, and I think being very honest and using anatomical correct language is really important for kids. Like I told them I have two boys and I grew up with a sister. So boys are like a whole new situation. (laughs) And I'm like, this is like a whole new animal for me, but I am very cognizant of using correct language with them about their bodies, about their penises, about their testicles, about their biceps, their shoulders, like body parts are body parts. And I want them to understand that those body parts are important parts of their body and, you know, are not something to be embarrassed about or, or feeling shame about. So I I think that, I think that's one thing is just honesty and just understanding that kids are smart and kids are innately good (laughs) and they don't have, like, they don't have these feelings of shame or embarrassment. Like that has to be put some there sometimes, you know? And so like, it shouldn't come from me. I don't think, you know, I mean, I have nothing to be ashamed about in terms of like my body and what it did. I mean, the other day, my five-year-old was like, mommy, you're, you have big nipples. (laughs) And I was like, yes, I do. (laughs) And he's like, why? And we had this great conversation about how mommy's bodies are able to feed babies. And that's why the nipples have to be bigger than daddy's nipples. (laughs) And he was like, okay, like just completely understood it, you know, and was like, yeah, I get that. And I was like, cool. And then we like moved on, you know? And I just, I just think that's one thing. And I think the second thing too, is identifying what your implicit bias is and what makes you uncomfortable and maybe some childhood trauma or, um, you know, other trauma surrounding your body and your birth experience and your pregnancy and how that influences how you talk to yourself and how you, how you identify your body and your journey, you know? And I think, you know, that's, that's hard to do. And if there was some experiences that shaped you in a way that, you know, they wish you didn't, they didn't shape you that way. Then I think I don't being able to identify those and like releasing the shame from that yeah. is really important. And that kind of will trickle down in, in other aspects of, of your life. And then also, you know, having the conversation with your girlfriends and your moms and your aunties and your cousins and your best friends and, and being vulnerable and being like, listen, I am really upset about this. Like, I know we all laugh about it. And I know that like, we all joke about, you know, peeing our pants when we sneeze and, you know, but like, I can't run anymore because I'm leaking pee all the time. And running was the one thing in my life that made me feel like me. Hmm. Like, that's a big deal. Yeah. You know, that's a big deal. And, and if we said that, just take that sentence, but take away the peeing part, Mm -hmm. like you would have the attention of the people around you. Right. And but then when you insert, like, I can't because I'm peeing, people are like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> you know, so it's like, I think in your response to people when they are being vulnerable um, is, you know, the age will lead by example, right? Like the golden rule. I think just being able to openly discuss this without shame or embarrassment and, and standing up to your physicians, I think. And, and if they yeah. say like, oh, it's just normal, go wear a pad. 
having the courage, which is very hard to do. And it's hard for me to do too. And saying like, that's unacceptable. Yeah. That is not treatment. Wearing a pad is not treatment. Yeah. So what, what else is there? Oh, that's so good. And I really Art. like too that, like having that conversation with your son and mm-hmm. up. just, it's so simple. You didn't have this mm-hmm. conversation of sit down and like, okay, don't be ashamed. It was a right. much more of a just natural, he had mm-hmm. curiosity and you answered it. Mm-hmm. And I think when we, when we um, have our kids learn about when they're learning to read and to write or to mm-hmm. walk and, or they have questions about bugs or animals mm-hmm. or whatever they have, they're, they're full of questions. And mm-hmm. as they're learning as parents, we're like, oh, that's so cute. And oh, mm-hmm. that's so cool. Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. love it. And then when they ask about private parts of their body, we're like, oh, no, 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 <laughs> don't, don't, we don't talk about that. Yeah. Mm-mm, <laughs> yeah. Mm-mm. Uh, yep. It's so sad. So I love that step that parents can start doing. Thank you. Yeah. And I think, you know, this generation, you know, we are a little bit more open about things like this. And, and honestly, I wish I had that when I was a kid and going through puberty. I mean, my parents were very cut off about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my, my, like my mom was like, Burp. I mean, I remember when I, when I got my first period, she was like, Burp. like, there, like she was like, she was just like, la, 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 la. like I had to figure it out, you know? And me on the other side, I'm like, okay, when you guys are in high school or middle school, you're going to carry tampons for your friends. You're, we're going to have pads and tampons all over this house. So when your girl, when friends come over who are girls and they're menstruating, then they can, you know, it's like my, I mean, I can just see my, my kids be like, oh my gosh, mom. But I just don't, I just think that there's so much not to be ashamed of. That's normal. And I love too this idea of bringing the boys into the conversation. Oh, 100%. Because so many, so much of the shame comes from them not knowing. And so when Mm -hmm. you say, oh, I'm on my period, this is hard. Yeah. Well, why? Like they don't understand. They don't understand. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. But if they see it, I mean, I mean, I will go to the bathroom with the door open. Yeah. <laughs> like for the rest of my life, you know, much to my <laughs> husband's chagrin. He's like, could you please close the door? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and, and mainly because I'm like off in La La Land, not thinking about it. But I mean, my kids like will see, you know, my menstrual cuff come out mm-hmm. and they'll see, you know, they'll see that stuff and they just talk. Mama, do you have a bubble? Nope. I don't have a bubble. This is a normal thing that lots of, you know, grownups have once a month. It's very important. You know, it's something mm-hmm. that's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, okay. And then they just go off, you yeah. know, and it's just, I, I just wish that we, I had that as a kid and, and maybe I'm overcompensating and I'm like, <laughs> we're going to talk about this. And they're probably at some point they're like, please stop talking about it. But I mean, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> they're well, five and seven. I think that this is so valuable too, because everybody um, that's not, it's not a normal conversation. The talk is so hard, but I think if we remember like, no, there's different phases of it. Like understanding the body is a huge part of the talk. And if that's Mm -hmm. normal, it's going to be so easy to talk about sex, to talk about Mm -hmm. our bodies, to talk about all of these things Mm -hmm. that are natural, beautiful, and endearing to us. Right. Like our kids need to understand that part too. Totally. And that it's normal to be curious yeah, and understand your body and like figure it out. And there's nothing wrong with that. Oh, totally. And kids are naturally curious. They're, they're going to already have questions. Are you going to be the source or are you going to let somebody else be is right. The big thing. Right. Yeah. So what would be your last piece of advice for parents who, um, they're struggling with their 
um, pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. They're wanting to make sure that they're preparing their daughters, their sons. Mm-hmm. What can they do right now to start getting better help? Yeah. So I would say, um, I would say it's never too late to ask for help, I think is one. I think a lot of moms feel that, you know, once their kids are in high school or middle school, it's like too, it's gone. The opposite, like the window of opportunity is over. Um, it's never too late. The second thing is to really think about where you're getting the information from. There's a lot of, um, influencers, there's a lot of information out there on the internet, you know, things are at our fingertips now at an instant, you know, and I think it's really important to, to do a little bit of, I don't like the word research because it feels like, oh my gosh, it's like one more thing that we have to do is like Uh figure this out, but like, just do a little digging about backgrounds and trainings of the people that you're getting your information from. And if anybody is giving you information that makes you feel afraid of either you or your body, then I would say like, maybe back away a little bit. Right. Because like, we don't make decisions based on fear. We make decisions in the healthcare community based on evidence, based on patients' preferences, based on what we know as clinicians and experts. Like we don't, we, we shouldn't be perpetuating fear. And so if, if you come across something that's like scary to you, um, you know, then maybe, maybe kind of like figure out why, and then, and see kind of what, what is the goal of that person that's giving you that information? Are they trying to scare you into buying something (laughs) or are they like educating you in a way that's, you know, appropriate and respectful? And then the other thing would be, um, you know, just finding the courage and the support system to talk about these, these things openly. So the conversation continues to trickle down. The more we talk about it, the more we ask for help, the better it is for everyone. And you mentioned earlier, Wanda, like you're starting to see kind of more pelvic floor PTs, like starting to do some of these online programs and that sort of thing. And I think that's amazing. I don't look at these other PTs as like competition. I look at them as the more we can put out there for women and moms, the better, because it becomes common. It becomes standard. It becomes expected. Right. I mean, how many like just strength training people are out there? You know, it's like, we know that it's important to strength train. So there's a lot of people that do it. (laughs) Same thing for your pelvic floor. So the more of us that are out there, the better, as long as it's reliable and trained professionals (laughs) giving information. Um, so I think, you know, the more, the better. And it's like, there's enough, there's enough women that need us. Yes. Oh, I totally agree. And that's one thing that I really loved about your program in particular was this idea of so much information. I was like, I'm a mom. I have a billion Mm -hmm. things to do and Mm -hmm. things that I need to figure out. This is just one more thing that I have to Mm -hmm. research and figure out what works, what doesn't. And with your program, you broke it down so nicely, like oh, everything was you. understandable. And so I, I totally, anybody that's listening very much recommend Marcy's thank program because it really is very, very good. <laughs> oh, I, I love to hear that. Thank you so much. It's such a good, um, such, such a good, nice compliment. And I'm so glad, you know, that that is a labor of love that program. So <laughs> I'm glad to hear that it's like helpful and that, I mean, people that are in it are doing awesome. I mean, I love yeah. to see how moms are just like crushing it in there. It's just, it's amazing. And we switched over to a new platform. I don't know if you've come on the new platform yet, but it's, oh, I haven't. it's awesome. 
and oh, it's cool. like super user friendly and it's all in one and it's amazing. And we oh, do really cool things up. in there. Yeah. Yeah. You should, you should, you should have gotten an email, check your email. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> well, for anybody that is connecting with our conversation and connects with you, Marcy in particular, I will provide links down below for them to be able to, um, join programs, follow you on Instagram, whatever those things are, what is the best way that you recommend for them to get in contact with you? Yeah, it's great. So I'm, I'm mainly hang out on Instagram. So I'm on there as the down there doc. Um, you can DM us. My team and I are always on Instagram every day, answering questions and sending resources. My website is the down there doc.com. And that's where we have, um, blogs, we have free videos. We have a whole resource library there. That's got a ton of freebies for people to learn and educate themselves about public floor and birth prep and postpartum recovery. So that's a great place to start too. And then there's a, um, you can sign up to be on the newsletter list and we do a new blog and newsletter weekly that has information and guest experts and all sorts of goodies. So lots of places, but mainly Instagram at the down there doc. And then the website is the down Oh, awesome. And I can attest to the fact, everybody that's listening, that Marcy, her people, they do not try to sell you. You can reach out and ask them questions. They will help. They will answer. They will not just try to shove something down your throat. (laughs) No, we don't do that. Yes, yes. (laughs) Yes, we hate that. We hate that. (laughs) Well, thank you, Marcy, for coming. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will see you all next time. Thanks, Wanda. I am so glad that you were able to be here and discover more with us of what it means to be a successful parent. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a rate interview so that we can reach more amazing parents who are looking for ways to truly succeed with their kids too. Find me on Instagram or Facebook at WandaHoward.Live. If you're like, holy cow, this was amazing, but I have so many more questions, then send me a DM with your biggest takeaways and all of your questions. I'll be sure to take care of you. Have an amazing day and I will see you in our next episode.